Park Hopping Podcast number 68, Disney Christmas Memories. Celebrating 11 years of posting Disney stuff on the internet. This is another crappy podcast production. Hi there, this is Alan from DisneyFans.com, and this is the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 68. The podcast that proves anyone, even some guy in Iowa, can have their own podcast. Welcome back to the Park Hopping Podcast. My name is Alan. I'm here in Des Moines, Iowa today, and the current outside temperature is just above freezing, with some snow expected in the forecast this weekend. That'll be the second snow so far this year for Des Moines, and it's not the bubble kind of fake stuff that goes away on its own with no trace like Disneyland has. Uh, But I digress. Merry Christmas, everybody! Less than a month to go, which means by now most of us have been putting up with Christmas displays in local stores and malls for about 60 days or so. You know, it's funny. Years ago, back in the early 1990s, when I lived in Texas, where there was no snow, I was writing short, humor-based articles for submission to a local newspaper, and one of them was specifically focusing on how soon Christmas displays were getting put up. And as part of the humor, I made a joke about how I half expected it to get to the point where we'd see fake spider webs for Halloween on the shelf just down the row from fake spray-on Christmas snow. And I'll be darned if I didn't find Christmas decorations and Halloween decorations for sale this October at the same time. Is, is, is that... Is it that bad where you live? Just seriously. But anyway, a few updates. Uh, My photo site, DisneyFans.com, has been sharing digital photos of Disney and other theme parks since its first incarnation back in 1996. I would have done it sooner, but I didn't get a digital camera until then. And today I have over 53,000 photos, with the vast majority of them being from Disneyland and Walt Disney World. My original digital camera took small photos that were about 60K each. And since then, I've been through four other cameras, and uh, the photos get larger and better and so on. Uh, And today, my photo collection is almost 53 gigabytes of Disney theme park pictures. So if there's anything you're looking for, you want a picture of it, uh, just drop by DisneyFans.com and explore a bit. You might find it. And if you don't, just let me know so I can make sure to add it to the gallery during my next trip. Um, Next, if you're planning an Orlando vacation anytime soon and you want to stay at a luxury resort with an in-room jacuzzi, flat-screen HDTV, and all kinds of goodies for about the price of a Motel 6, I have a link at the top of every page on my site that shows how you can do this. Now, of course, there is a catch. You have to go to a timeshare pitch, which will take about 90 minutes or longer if you ask a lot of questions and ask to see more. Now, when I went, uh, I even got a full breakfast buffet one morning with, with eggs and meats and an omelet station and juices and, well, you get the idea. It was a very high-class operation, and it's the same company that's part of the Garden Walk project being built in Anaheim. They'll have some resorts available out in California once all of that is done, just down the road from Disneyland. So check out that link, DisneyFans.com, and if you're willing to give up some time for a tour presentation, you can spend a few nights in a great resort that's so close to Disney, you can see Expedition Everest and the Tree of Life from the rooms. It's very, very cool, if they're facing that direction anyway. I'll have more on this in a future episode. And lastly, a few book updates. The Intrepid Traveler announces the 2008 edition of the hassle-free Walt Disney World Vacation Book, updated with new pricing, new names, and other goodies. I've spoken at length on this book in the past, and I'll talk a bit about the 2008 edition in an upcoming episode, but I wanted to mention that it is out and available now. In fact, you 
probably notice it's getting mentioned a lot on various Disney fan websites and podcasts because, well, because that's what a PR person causes to happen. The intrepid traveler is nice enough to fix us up with review copies and get us in touch with the author for an interview if we want and all kinds of goodies that help spread the word. So consider this the first part of the spreading. And in an unrelated book note, they also sent me an interesting Universal Studios book called simply Universal Orlando 2008. Now, we're barely into it, but I hope to have a full commentary and review in a future episode as well. It's very interesting seeing how the views of someone who focuses as much on Universal and not so much on Disney as us Disney dweebs do on Disney and not so much Universal. It's very interesting seeing how they look at the parks. It's, it's fascinating. So, any questions or comments so far? If so, remember you can always email me, podcast at DisneyFans.com, or call 206-2030-227 and leave me a message. Today, more Disney Christmas memories. And speaking of memories, now I don't remember much about my first adult trip to Disneyland back in December 1995. It had been about 20 years since I visited the park in the 70s, so I guess I didn't remember much about my previous visits before then either. But I had started a new job and I'd moved to Iowa in the summer of 95, and work was sending me to Irvine, California for a week to teach a class. In the years leading up to this, I was a frequent visitor to the Destination Florida Roundtable on the General Electric Genie online service. This was all before the World Wide Web even existed. But text-based services such as Genie, CompuServe, and Delphi let folks around the country dial in and chat and pretty much do everything we do today just without all the pictures. Well, this Destination Florida area had a section to talk about Walt Disney World, of course, and also one for Disneyland in California, for whatever reason. It was on this Genie bulletin board that I started reading about all the things that were going on at the original happiest place on Earth, mainly the plans for building the Indiana Jones adventure, which would open as part of the 40th anniversary celebration. Um, I was reading about this one groundbreaking attraction, and that made me finally want to return to Disneyland instead of just visiting Walt Disney World every year, which I'd been doing on summer vacations since before Epcot was ever announced. So when I found out I was being sent to California, I thought maybe I'd have a chance to check out Disneyland. Now, since there was no Google Maps or MapQuest or Map Blast or anything like that yet, I just called up the hotel I would be staying at and asked how far away they were from Disneyland. I said about 15 miles, and then I knew I'd have to figure out a way to go see the park during my stay. Now, as I said, I don't remember too much about this trip, but I do remember getting to the hotel on Sunday and finding that my shipment of computer equipment either hadn't arrived yet or was there, but it was locked up in some storage room and the weekend staff couldn't get to it. And either way, I had the evening free, so I set out in my rental car to drive to Disneyland. Now, I remember following the interstate exit signs and driving through a rather seedy-looking part of town filled with rundown motels, liquor stores, and strip malls, only to suddenly drive right up on Disneyland. This was a shock after getting so used to how many miles um, isolate the Florida parks from the rest of Orlando. I mean, Disneyland was literally right in the middle of a city with apartment complexes and houses and stores all around it. I remember parking on the huge parking lot and looking at the huge electrical power lines that ran through it. Now, I don't remember how much parking was back then, but I seem to recall that a single-day ticket was about $34. I was only going to have an hour or so before they closed that night, and since the other visits I made would also be after 5 o'clock or so in the evening that week, 
I figured my limited time at the park uh, wasn't going to be worth spending so much money each day. So it just wasn't practical to buy a single day ticket. So I decided to buy my first ever Disney annual pass. Now, I don't remember how much it was back then, but considering the price of a Disneyland pass has gone up $50 in the past two years, I'm thinking the 1995 price was an insanely cheap amount, uh, at least by today's standards. So there I was, entering Disneyland for the first time in 20 years, with a mission to get my annual pass photo taken before rushing off to explore as much of the park as I could in as little time as I had. Now everything was just a blur to me as I used a guide map, something I hadn't needed in Florida for ages, to try to find my way around the park to all the unique attractions that were not built in Florida. I figured I'd already been on the Haunted Mansion and Space Mountain a zillion times, so I should focus first on all the things that were unique to Disneyland. I don't remember how much I, I got to ride and see that night, but I do remember seeing so many things that just kind of brought back childhood memories, like the giant well at the Storybook Land canal boats, uh, the ones that they go float through right at the beginning. And I remembered uh, an area that used to be called Bear Country um, and knew that there used to be a snoring sound at the entrance. Well, that had all changed. I remembered the fake fireflies and the caverns and pirates and the Matterhorn Mountain. I distinctly remember as a kid seeing the footprint of an abominable snowman somewhere. So many little details everywhere I looked made me realize there was a lot of things in California that just never got recreated in Florida. I guess I just kind of thought that these were items that maybe were in Florida at one time but had been removed since my early visits in the 70s. Anyway, a month later I found myself back in California, this time teaching a class down in San Diego. I was so eager to get my Disneyland fix in that I drove the 90 miles or so from the college I was at to Anaheim, knowing full well that by the time I got there, the park would only be open for like an hour more that day. And I got stuck in traffic. It was maddening. It was maddening to get stuck in traffic, creeping along the interstate at a snell's pace and being taunted by signs saying Disneyland next exit and taking what seemed to be like hours to reach that next exit and uh, coincidentally that night for whatever reason Disneyland decided to stay open an hour extra so uh, I almost had no time there that night because of all the traffic. So those were some great times and I wish I had brought my old-fashioned film camera with me or taken notes or something. I, I mean I did manage to save a few trinkets like a 40th anniversary Disneyland wall map and one of these days I'll have to go through my box full of park goodies and see what all I really have but that day isn't today. Today, I wanted to focus more on Christmas time at Disneyland. While I remember very little about my 1995 Disneyland Christmas visit, I do remember quite a bit about my Christmas visits in 2001, 2003, 2004, and 2005, mostly because by then I had a digital camera and a digital camcorder, and I took thousands of photos and shot dozens of hours of video. And looking back to 1995, I'm not sure if I even remember the Main Street Christmas tree or any of the holiday decorations for that matter. I was just too excited about actually being in the park again. Now, if you've never been to the Magic Kingdom or Disneyland during Christmas time, you really should consider it. I mean, a visit between Thanksgiving and within the first two weeks or so of December can give you a wonderful holiday experience with very manageable crowds. It's certainly easier to manage the crowds during that time of year than peak summer months or around major events like spring break or a three-day weekend or whatever. Now, one of the main things you'll notice is that all the turn-of-the-century good-time music on Main Street is replaced with Christmas tunes. 
The other big change are, of course, the decorations I mentioned. There's ornaments and wreaths and extra lights in the trees that completely change the feeling of walking into the park. Now, I always love the decorations, but in a way, part of me feels incomplete during the holiday visit because there are certain songs I always hear on Main Street that aren't part of the Christmas music loop. It's kind of hard to explain, but background music plays such a strong part in a uh, Disney theme park experience that when it's changed or missing, that experience itself is altered. Now, in modern years, much more gets changed during Christmas at Disneyland than it did in the past. Uh, decorations go up in Frontierland, where they uh, theme them to that era, of course, like um, red bows and green garland str uh, strung around. Over in New Orleans Square, the whole area gets covered with lights and ornaments and stuff hangs from virtually every tree branch in the entire section. There's strings of lights over the main walkway, and there's a giant alligator wearing a Santa hat. Um, Mickey's Toontown has decorations, with every shop there getting uniquely decorated on the outside. For instance, the Toontown Bank has money-themed decorations. You could probably spend an hour examining all the decorations just in Toontown and still not catch all the details. And the list goes on, with decorations on the castle, and starting this year, a whole new light display for the castles at Disneyland and Disney World, and from the looks of some reports on the internet, at the other Disney Magic Kingdom parks around the world as well. And you know, I'm realizing I could dedicate a whole series of podcast episodes just to various holiday things that Disneyland has done just in the years I've been visiting. Like, for instance, when they started the fake snow as part of the fireworks finale. Now, if I recall, I was at the park the evening they first tested this effect. I think it was in 2000. Disneyland normally keeps the shops on Main Street open up to an hour after park closing, but on this night, the hour came and went, and they didn't seem to be running us off. I remember standing around Main Street with dozens of other guests watching them test the snow. Now, this may have been the same night they were staging the guidebook holiday photos as well. I remember they had placed fake snow all along the sidewalk in front of one of the Main Street shops, maybe near the bakery, and they had some of the Fab Five characters posing in holiday garb with a photographer. But the snow night was weird. We just kept hanging around, and slowly those around me left until I was one of the last guests still there. Actually, now that I think about it, I may have been the actual last guest there. I just remember getting real uncomfortable realizing our numbers were so few, and I decided I should leave before Disney security escorted me out. Now, if you want to see some of the photos from this night, I have them posted on DisneyFans.com. There's a special gallery and there's a link to it right from the main page. Now that we've had years of the snow effect being used, my photos are probably no big deal. But back then, it was probably the first place on the internet that you could see photos of the snow machine in use. It seemed like I ended up at the park a number of times over the years where things like this were happening. Like when I'd be there the first day a ride soft opened, or for the grand reopening of the new Tomorrowland or whatever. Things that I never really planned, I just kind of happened to be around when stuff like that was going on. So to kind of bring this random rambling to some kind of cohesive point, if that's possible, let's stick with the snow topic. Disneyland redoes several attractions each year for the holiday, such as the Haunted Mansion holiday and the It's a Small World holiday. When the Country Bear Playhouse was around, there was a special holiday show there, and Disney World's Magic Kingdom used to get the holiday show at their Country Bears, but hasn't the past two years, which is a pity, since it was, as far as I know, the only holiday overlay that Walt Disney World had. Other than attractions, both Magic Kingdom parks get a holiday parade and a special holiday fireworks show. 
Disneyland's snow was used as the climax for their holiday fireworks, when, after the explosions were all done, it would begin snowing on Main Street and over in front of It's a Small World, and now I think they do it over in New Orleans Square, too.
That was the Disneyland White Christmas Holiday Fireworks finale, as recorded in December 2005. Now, 2005, uh, they were celebrating the 50th anniversary of Disneyland, so they were presenting the special 50th Fireworks Spectacular instead of the normal holiday version. So uh, they added that little holiday tag at the end of the show for the snow sequence. Now, I was going to present a full holiday fireworks recording, but that would have pushed this episode beyond the 30 minutes uh, that I try to stick to. I'm, I'm trying really hard to keep these episodes short and easier to listen to. From some of the feedback I've gotten in the past, I'm not the only one out there that finds some of the hour or longer podcasts a lot more um, difficult to get through than the shorter ones. I know I've certainly had to stop listening to many of the longer podcasts that I used to listen to, just because I didn't have the time to get through them all, and I guess I'd rather take in a dozen or so shorter episodes than a few long ones. As my website proudly proclaims, quantity over quality, I guess. And speaking of photos at Disneyland, the next time you're there, be sure to take an extra picture, shoot some extra video, because you really never know when something you like, love, or hate is going to go away and never be around again. And on that note, I think that'll do it for me this time, so be sure to visit DisneyFans.com, where you can browse around 53,000 digital pictures I've taken at Disneyland, Disney World, and other theme parks across the country, as well as dozens of downloadable video files from the Disney parks. And if you want to drop me a note, my email address remains podcast at DisneyFans.com, and if you'd rather use the telephone, you can dial 206-2030-ACP, that's for another crappy podcast, again, 206-2030-227, and leave me a voicemail. This has been the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 68, Disney Christmas Memories. Thanks for listening, and once again, Merry Christmas. Another crappy podcast production. Be sure to visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and other equally exciting (sighs) podcasts.